Hello, thanks for joining us for worship today. My name is Michaela, and I'm thankful to be a part of the Heritage team. No matter where you are in your spiritual journey, we are so glad that you are here with us today. As a church, we exist to connect people to God, to each other, and to their purpose. So today, we invite you to worship with us in song, prayer, and teaching. Feel free to engage however is most comfortable for you. We believe that God has something to say to you today. So if this is your first time joining us for service, or if you have any questions, prayer requests, or want to talk to one of our pastors, please go to heritageqc.com connect, and someone from the pastoral team will contact you soon. We are excited and expectant for what God is going to do in our time together. So let's lift our voice as we worship Him today.
Jesus that every knee will bow, every tongue confess that Jesus is Lord. Come on, let's sing this together. This is what. Solo en ti soy libre, solo en ti hay vida, con cielo sin armonía, a ti adoramos. Solo en ti soy libre, solo en ti hay vida, con cielo sin
my name's Jeremiah. I get to be one of our teaching pastors here. And, uh, and believe it or not, this is the season of resurrection. We just celebrated Easter weekend last weekend. And, and I want to take just a moment to celebrate some of the things that God did as we gathered together across 12 different expressions for Easter weekend. When, you, when we include things like Good Friday, and I think there's a picture of our Good Friday services here uh, where we gathered in the round and, and remembered the gift of Jesus and what the cross means for us. And then on Resurrection Sunday, in our live environments, we celebrated with over 2,000 people who were declaring together, Jesus is alive. Yeah. And, and that doesn't include our friends who joined us on TV and uh, in different spaces and places. We are so grateful for what God is doing and for the reminder for all of us that Jesus is alive. And because Jesus is alive, everything is different. You see, Easter is the celebration. Resurrection Sunday is the celebration that Jesus is victorious even over death. And so this week, we're stepping into this new series called Christ the Victor, where we recognize that Jesus is the victorious king over not just death, but, but over the world, over sin, over everything. So over the course of the next few weeks, we're going to be spending some time as resurrection people discussing and exploring what it means to experience the victory of Jesus in everything that we do. I'm super excited about that. Now, as we dig into that, and, and something that's really important to recognize when it comes to the story of Easter and resurrection and this thing called Christ the Victor, what's important for us to know is, well, I guess, a key that would help us unlock some of the deeper truths that God might have for us is the simple awareness that Jesus is the fulfillment of the Scriptures, Okay, this is a kind of a key foundational truth that helps us understand the story of resurrection and all else that's going on in the scriptures and the world. Jesus is the fulfillment of the scriptures. We actually see Jesus talk to this after his resurrection when he's on the road with some friends going for a walk. And after the resurrection has happened, he explains to them that all of the scriptures, it's in his, in his mind in that moment, all of the Old Testament scriptures were pointing to the life, the ministry, the death, and the resurrection of Jesus finding their fulfillment there. So this is, you don't, you don't have to fully understand or agree with that. If we had more time, we would tease out more and more of what that means because it's so foundational for us to dig into more of what God has for us. But this is what we need to know. Jesus is the fulfillment of the scriptures. As far as Jesus was concerned, as he was going about the ministry that he had, moving toward the cross, expectant of resurrection Sunday, he was doing so in fulfillment of the scriptures foretold long ago. In fact, in Matthew chapter 5, toward the beginning of his ministry, he says this to the people uh, around him. He says, I I don't want you to misunderstand why I have come. Don't misunderstand why I've come. I didn't come to abolish the law of Moses or the writings of the prophets. No, I came to accomplish their purpose. So here's what we see. The very words of Jesus declaring somehow the scriptures point to him in this fulfilling 
purpose way of what the scriptures are pointing to. So again, when we say Jesus is victorious, we don't just mean over death, but over everything, over the world, over sin. One of the kind of key threads that you find in the New Testament stories of Jesus is that Jesus is fulfilling a very particular set of, of story, of history for the people of Israel. In fact, throughout Matthew and Mark and Luke and John, those are the, the four gospels we call them. They mean good news, but they're, they're really the, the biography story of Jesus and his ministry. That these these books, they all point to a particular part of the story of the people of Israel who, who had been called out for God's special purpose. And there's a part in their story that we call the Exodus. Exodus is a big word that means exit. So, you know, there you go. Vocabulary time for you. You guys were hoping for a vocabulary lesson today. Exit. But here's, here's what's happening in the story of the people of Israel. They have been in a space of darkness, waiting for rescue. There's a story that, that is taking place where God is wanting to reveal his rescue, his goodness, his love, and his purpose through a particular people group, but they find themselves year after year, generation after generation, time after time, stuck in a place of bondage, of slavery where now they are a slave labor force for one of the dark kingdoms of the world. And this dark kingdom of the world seems to be growing darker and darker still as the king of that area named Pharaoh commits acts of genocide against the people of Israel as he forces them to work harder and build monuments unto himself. Things are getting darker and harder and more difficult and more frightening for these people who are supposed to have a special purpose, who have been told that God has a promise he wants to fulfill for them. And here they find themselves in slavery, killed, beaten. They feel forgotten. In the book of Exodus, and we're going to be in Exodus 14 and 15 today. You can turn or click there if you want. But in, in the book of Exodus, what we start to see is that though they have been crying out to God, and he seems to have been inactive. He's actually been working a great plan. And finally, finally, a rescuer comes, a man named Moses. Somebody who says, the I am has sent me to you. And when he comes, things get harder and darker. It gets a little tougher for them. So what in the world is going on? Now, before we go any further in the story, I, I want to just kind of pull us out for a moment and ask you a question. Can you think of a time, can you think of a moment in your life when you felt like you had no good options? Can you think of a time, of a moment, when you felt like your back was up against the wall and you had no good options? You may have three different options, but they're all terrible. Anybody ever been there? Some of you were like, that's where I woke up this morning. 
This is, where, this is where it is. I mean, we all have those spaces. Think of it. Think of those moments where it looks like in your relationship, you're either going to have to choose loneliness and lovelessness even in a marriage or divorce or some other option. None of them are good. They're just bad options. Or when it comes to a relationship with a child who you are watching make bad decision after bad decision after bad decision, what do you do as a parent? feels like there are no good options. What do you do when it comes to the space and place of the dream that's been whispered in your heart and it seems like every door of opportunity has closed and there are no good options for how you move forward? Maybe for you it's this reality. It's that you wake up every time you get ready to go to work and you know you're facing another soul-crushing experience at that place of work. You can either get up and go to work or stay home and lose your job. There are no good options. They come about through life where we enter into these places where it seems like there are no good options. What are we to do? Some of them are significant, like the ones that I mentioned now. Some of them seem significant at the time, but then as we move past them, we realize, oh, that was just a, that was just a momentary thing. I remember when I was a young driver, a new driver, I was probably about 17 years of age. I was on my way into high school driving what we called the egg. It was a tiny little two-door, three-cylinder Chevy Metro, okay? So it sounded a lot like a lawnmower and looked like one too. And I had the egg packed full of friends from high school as we were getting ready to, uh, to, to get to school there, and uh, something happened ahead of us. And anyway, we were part of a multiple car pileup there on, on the road not too far outside of high school. It, it wasn't a bad accident, but it was bad enough that like the, the ambulances came and carted us off. And I remember being in the ambulance and then in the emergency room, and the first thing they do when you're in a car accident is they immobilize your neck, right? Like they, they put the collar on you. And uh, this will, I don't know why I'm telling you this, but my neck size is no neck. Yeah, I have no neck. It's literally a size on the collar. I'm a no neck size. So, so they, they get out their no neck collar and they put that on me. And then uh, they start kind of feeling around and they, they put me on a backboard and they strap you in. If you've ever been on a backboard, it's a weird sensation um, because you're like, your head is strapped down and parts of you are strapped down and you're just kind of like surfing on your back, you know, through all the things. And so I thought once we got to the hospital that they would let me off this thing once they realized I was, I was fine. There wasn't anything really happening. And, um, and so like an hour passes. And two hours pass. And three hours pass. And I'm like, something is broken in the healthcare system. We need to fix that, right? No, no. It's just something was going on. People were coming in and out. They were running tests. They were checking on me. And, uh, and I remember my friends who had been in the car with me, you know, they're laughing. They're having fun. They come by and say, see ya. <laughs> Stinks to be you. Mom's here to get me. And there they go. And there I am on my back strapped to this backboard. And I, I remember finally they... they they said, well, uh, we've, we've, we need to talk to you, but we need to wait till your parents can get here. And so uh, my mom came and, and met us there in, uh, in the emergency room, and they, I can hear the, the little curtain close around us, and, and they just say, we found something. So we're going to go run some tests. We need, need you to sign off on, on being able to run some tests. And so they keep me strapped in for more time, and we run some tests into the big, scary, clunky machines and all of that stuff. And, and we wait, and we wait, and we wait. There's nothing to do. There's, there's nothing I can do. I just have to sit there while lay there. Finally, 
the, the same doctor who had seen us earlier comes in and is very busy. It's a, it's a very busy center. And so he kind of comes in very quickly and he's looking through the stuff that they have on me and he sets it down and he looks at my mom and he says, so there's some sort of anomaly on the scan. We think it's cancer. We'll know more later. And he leaves. So my mom had this look on her face that moms get when they are so scared, but they don't want their kids to know that they're so scared right? Moms, you all have it. We all know what's actually happening there, okay? You can just be yourself in that moment. She, she suddenly has to go make a call. I'm smart enough to know she's got to go cry and then probably talk to my dad about, about what's happening. And so, again, the doctor comes back and says, That's, we've, we've confirmed there's something there. It doesn't, look, it doesn't look good, but we have to wait to run more tests. And so I got to tell you, in that space, in those hours, there were no good options for us. There was nothing to do. I was literally strapped to a backboard, and I didn't know what to do. My mom didn't know what to do. We just had to wait for something to happen. And so finally, the, they run some more tests, and I remember they come in, and they let me off this thing finally, and they say, I don't know what happened, but we ran more scans, and whatever we saw on there was gone. Now, my mom had been praying. There had been a lot of other people praying. I don't know if their scan was wrong or if a miracle happened, but it sure felt like a miracle to me in that moment. In that moment, strapped to that backboard, all I could think of was the sense of impending dread and doom and then it felt like, man, I had a whole new life on the other side of it. This is all I could think of, but it was in a moment, just a little thing, right? It just came and went, and the rest of life has come and gone. I share that with you because there are some of us today, as we're gathering here, who find ourselves strapped to the backboards of life, wondering what the news will be, feeling like we have no good options, and we're not sure how to move forward. So, now let's get back to the story of Israel. You thought I forgot about the Bible, didn't you, for a second? So, let's get back to the story of Israel. Moses finally gets permission from the dark king Pharaoh to let the people go out and worship in the desert. And so, as soon as the people start to leave to go out there, Pharaoh gathers all of his advisors and says, I think we've made a huge mistake. We just sent all of our workforce out into the desert. I know what we should do. Activate the Third Armor Division and go chase them down. So, so Pharaoh actu actually activates the world's strongest army to go chase down and destroy this ragtag group of slaves out in the desert. As they're walking into the desert, they come across a great big body of water. Here's where they find themselves. They can choose death by drowning. They can choose death by being crushed by the armies of Pharaoh. Or there's a third option. They can go this way and choose death by some other armies that are waiting for them there. This is what the scriptures record, is where they're at. So now let's pick up their story. And as, as we're reading this, I want you to understand that what has just happened is the very people of Israel who now see they have three different choices and none of them are good are now angry at the leader who got them there. They're very upset they're telling Moses, you're a bad leader. Somebody should get rid of you. It would have been better for us to die at the hands of the Egyptians in Egypt than out here right now. And I know, if you've been in the church for a while, you read this story and you think, man, those people of little faith, if I had been there, I would have handled that completely differently. And I just want you to know, as somebody who sees some of your Facebook posts about some of the leaders in your world, you and I, we would have been right there with them, 
wondering what, how in the world we got stuck where we are. But here's what Moses says in Exodus 14, verse 13 and following. Moses answered the people, do not be afraid. Stand firm and you will see the deliverance the Lord will bring to you today. The Egyptians you see today, you will never see again. Now here's what's fascinating to me, is that Moses did not know how this was going to play out. He had no idea. He didn't know the end of the story. What he knew is that God was for these people and he was active on their behalf. That's what he knew. God was for them and he was active on their behalf. And so he says, hey, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. And then he continues, same breath. He says, the Lord will fight for you. You need only to be still. Do not be afraid. The Lord will fight for you. You need only to be still. In the midst of no good options, in the midst of three different paths towards certain death, Moses says, hey, don't be afraid. God is for you and he's active on your behalf. He's, God is going to fight for you. You need only to be still. Another little vocabulary lesson here. The word for still there means, uh, means to like carve out a place to wait. He's telling them, hey, guys, knock it off. The Lord is going to fight for you, so shut up and watch what he does. That's what he's saying. Just watch what God alone will do and how he is going to work on your behalf. So then, then the story continues. So how does God do this? How does God take this impossible circumstance? I know some of you are familiar with this story, and I just want you to, to forget the story that you know and listen in for a moment, okay? Because here's what we see that God does in the next moment. The army of Pharaoh coming after these Israelites gets slowed down and stopped in a miraculous way by the God of the universe. And then as they're slowed down and stopped doing everything they can to get to the very people they want to destroy, an east wind begins to blow. And this east wind begins to move the body of water that's ahead of them into great big heaps on the left and on the right, creating a path through it toward the promise. Why is this significant? couple things. One, this is an impossible story. I want you to know how impossible this is. We know of the bodies of water in that area of the world. I believe this happened. But here's the thing, of the bodies of water available in that area of the world, there is no body of water deep enough that an entire army from Egypt could drown in its waters. Spoiler alert, that's coming. And there is no body uh, of water that would be uh, that would be shallow enough to do that and find dry ground after one night of an east wind blowing. So here's the thing. God is doing something absolutely impossible because he can. There are no good options. But here we find a path forward. It's an incredible story. One more note before we pick up the story here. The people are smart-ish. They know that path that just opened up. That's our best option. And some of us, we hear the story and we think, look at what God did. He made a way where there seems to be no way. And he did, and it's incredible. But I want you to put yourself in the mindset of the people who were gathered there that day. You see, 
waters, seas, oceans, they, they were a space of fear for the people. Any time that there was water present, the people believed, especially a sea like this, the people believed it to be a place where chaos and death resided. A sea is a place of chaos and death. This is why it's so significant at the very beginning of the story in Scripture when we read that the Spirit of God hovered over the surface of the waters There's this sense that there is chaos and death at play, and yet God is going to do something different. So let me play this out for you just for a second. These people who moments before had no good options. There is now a path forward, but it's a path that it would appear at any moment chaos and death could come raining down on their heads. It's frightening okay let's pick up the story glad you came to church today right exodus 14 29 and following the israelites went through the sea on dry ground with a wall of water chaos and death on their right and a wall of water chaos and death on their left that day the lord saved israel from the hands of the egyptians and israel saw the egyptians lying dead on the shore and when the israelites saw the mighty hand of the lord displayed against the egyptians the people feared the lord and put their trust in him and in moses his servant Here we find, there in the midst of impossible circumstance where there was no good options, they did have a path to the promise. But just like for them, you and I must understand this, that our path to the promise is often carved through chaos and even death. I know, super uplifting. So glad I'm here. But understand this, sometimes when it comes to that space, when we're asking for God's deliverance and it appears that a way has come to us, we don't know what to do because now we're offended and disappointed that the one way forward is a way that is gonna be marked, it seems, by chaos and death. But this is how, this is how it seems God moves us to the place of promise. Fast forward thousands of years to Jesus, the fulfillment of the scriptures, the one bringing rescue. Yes, the people here, they move from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light. Jesus is said to be the one who rescues us from the kingdom of darkness and places us in the kingdom of God's dear son who he loves and forgives our sins. That's a description of who Jesus is. He's the fulfillment of all of this. But how did he get to the space where we could have a path from no good options to life and life to the full, to purpose and adventure and meaning, to rescue and forgiveness. How did he get there? It was the path of chaos and death. But, here's the good part. You ready? Yes, our path to promise is often the path of chaos and death, but God brings order and life. God brings order and life. The death couldn't hold, death couldn't hold Jesus. 
He rose again on the third day, showing once and for all, yes, he is victorious over death, but he is victorious over the whole world. Yes, there are times when our invitation is to take the path that looks like it is the path of chaos and death, and it will mean there are times when we feel as though in order to experience the renewal, the promise, the hope that God has for us, it will cost us everything. It is not uncommon when God is leading us to the place of promise for you and for me to discover that in order to get there, he is inviting us to die. To die to ourselves, to die to our egos, to die to our dreams, to die to our plans, to die to what we know should have or could have been, to release those things. There are times when he is inviting us to the path of promise and it feels as though all hell is going to break loose around us, that it is chaos upon chaos. And yet the invitation for us is to know this. Jesus has made a way through chaos and death that we can be found with him and he can be trusted, that he is good, he is for us, he is active on our behalf. And if these things are true, then God can be trusted even with the spaces of chaos and death in our lives. Will we go where he leads? The promise is on the other side. Jesus walked that path for us. He has made a way for us. All of this, the story of Jesus, the story of Exodus, they're reminders that God can and will be trusted, that God is in control, that he is good. And so I wonder for you, where is it in your world, in your life right now that you need to see God bring undeniable victory? Where is it for you right now? It feels like you might die in your current circumstance, literally or figuratively. And you need to cling to the God of life who raises the dead. God brought the people of Israel through, and in fact, they, they wrote a long kind of hymn about it. We don't have time to read it all here, but knowing what we know now, I want to read this, this passage from their celebration for you. Exodus 15. This is declaring who God is. It says, in your unfailing love, you will lead the people you have redeemed. In your unfailing love, you will lead the people you have redeemed. In your strength, you will guide them to your holy dwelling. Where do you today need to be more convinced of God's great love for you? That he has redeemed you. That's the gift of Jesus. Where do you need strength and guidance and an invitation to dwell with him even where there were no good options it seemed god was active and leading there's one more verse i want to share with you but before we get there i want to remind you again that jesus is the fulfillment of the scriptures that, that here we've seen an indication of the promise, a, a, a foreshadowing of what could be for us. And Jesus comes by his life and death, his resurrection, his ascension, his intercession now, and leads us into a far greater way. Jesus is the fulfillment of the scriptures. And so it's with that in mind that we started this conversation with 
Jesus reminding us of that, words of Jesus about who he is and what he's come to do. I want us to land with another statement made by Jesus, one of the very last that he makes in the book of Matthew before ascending to heaven. He says this, all authority, say all authority. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. All authority on heaven and on earth has been given to me. There may be dark forces at work in the world. There may be kings and princes who seem as though they have all the authority in the world. And Jesus is saying, no, no, all authority has been given to me. There may be authority figures in your world at home or at work, and you wonder, does God see? Is he going to move? And Jesus declares, by the cross and the empty tomb, all authority has been given to me. And so when Jesus says it, it's not some miracle-working prophet in the ancient Near East leading people out of Egypt. Moses was great, but he wasn't Jesus. It is the King of kings and Lord of lords who says to us, Today, and I want to read now these words over you with the authority of Jesus, how he would say it to you. Listen as he speaks these words to your spirit. Do not be afraid. I, the Lord, will fight for you. You need only to be still. So, where are you going to choose courage over fear today? Where are you going to choose confidence over worry today? Where are you going to choose stillness over the empty activity of trying to make a way where there is no way today? I believe as we've been talking Holy Spirit has been bringing to mind the very space in your life where he's trying to tell you, do not be afraid. The Lord will fight for you. Be still. And so I'm going to lead us in a moment of prayer where we simply declare to him, we trust him. And we'll lay that before him. So let's pray together. Jesus, you are King of kings and Lord of lords, the strong and mighty and victorious one. Holy Spirit, you've, you've brought to mind for us places in our history, in our world right now where it feels as though we have no good options today. Death and chaos on every side. And yet, we declare you are good, you are king, you are alive. As you've brought these places to mind, Lord, you've done so not in order to make us anxious, but as an invitation to trust. And so, right before you right now, we lay in front of you that need, that anxiety, that relationship, that broken dream, that heartbreak, 
that space where there seems to be no way. And we ask you with confidence, oh Lord, help us to not be afraid. Give us your courage. Oh God, let us see you fighting on our behalf, not for our sake alone, but for the glory of your great name. Show us what it looks like to be still. Would you stand and continue to worship with us today?
much we love him this morning.
What a powerful service this has been. If something during the service struck a chord with you, or you'd like to have someone pray with you or have a follow-up question, I'd encourage you to go to heritageqc.com connect, and one of us from the pastoral team will reach out to you. That's also a great way to find out which groups, classes, and events we are currently offering. If you have been impacted by this service, we'd encourage you to consider partnering with us by giving to the Ministry of Heritage Church, which makes programs like this possible. One of the easiest ways to do this is by going to heritageqc.com give. Thank you so much for joining us for worship today, and we will see you next week. Ooh, the 